0: Welcome to the IB Voices Podcast, where students, teachers, and education experts share their passion for the IB and bring their programs to life. My name is Sky. This February marks the fifth annual International Day of Women and Girls in Science, and today we speak to Erin McDonald, an astrophysicist and science advisor in the Star Trek franchise. She tells us about the real and fictional role models that influenced her career and how she landed in Glasgow for her PhD. She is a middle years program and diploma program graduate based in the United States.
1: for having me and a little bit about me. Uh, My name is Aaron McDonald. I'm currently based in Los Angeles, but I attended the IB Middle Years Program and Diploma Program out of Poudre High School in Fort Collins, Colorado. And right now, I did research in astrophysics. I'm an astrophysicist, and I currently work as a science advisor right now for the Star Trek franchise out here in LA.
0: Cool. Why did you choose an IB school or in the school itself, why did you choose to be a part of the IB program?
1: Um, yeah, so what actually brought me into the IB program, it was a little bit of just one of those random flukes because the IB World School in our town was on the other side of town and I wasn't in that district to go to that school necessarily. And it just so happened that my neighbor, who was about six years older than me, went to the IB program and between her parents and my parents kind of discussing options and thinking about it, they. Highly recommended that I would fit in and have a good time in in IB. And the way that our school district is set up, it actually meant that I would leave our middle school program, which would typically be grades seventh, eighth, and ninth. I would leave that a year early, and then the only ninth graders at this high school were IB kids. So it was a little bit of a bonding experience. Just one of those random things that was a life changer and very happy with it.
0: Okay, so tell us, what does a day in your life kind of look like, you know, the pre-COVID day and then how that's changed?
1: I mean, in terms of my career and what it looks like kind of before COVID and now after that, um, beforehand, I actually was juggling multiple jobs. I was working as an aerospace technical advisor um, in an aerospace engineering company as well as doing the science advising for writers and then when COVID hit i was actually just back from the star trek cruise like the last cruise possible <laughs> and that was when i made the decision to just focus on doing the science consulting full-time so as a full-time science consultant my entire life has been on this virtual world but really it hasn't slowed down where i fit in because my role as a science advisor is much more on that pre-production side. So working in the writer's rooms, working on developing scripts, and that's all something that can be done you know, from our homes. And for the most part, I don't engage with people during the day that much. I get scripts sent to me and I review them. Some of the shows that I work with will send me kind of more earlier concept documents, like things like outlines or story plans, but it's really you know, me doing a lot of reading, interacting over email. And then about a handful of times a month, I'll hop into a writer's room and we'll discuss a story idea or we'll just do like a Q&A brown bag type discussion that, yeah.
0: You mentioned there's this one big skill, right? Writing that you use now that you started to develop during the IB program. Tell us, when did you really feel like I'm a writer or, or get engaged in a writing topic in a serious way?
1: Yeah, it's so crazy thinking about like how IB influenced my writing ability and how that transitioned up until even this year. I don't think I would have considered myself a writer professionally, but now that's becoming clearer that that's the path that I'm going down. But even before that, I would say the writing skill that IB program gave me was invaluable to my success as a scientist particularly because when I went into my undergraduate, it was a lot of people who didn't focus necessarily on their writing skills when they were in high school, but I had that strong background to be able to communicate very well. And then even more so when I went on to graduate school because I went overseas for graduate school and people had different backgrounds and really didn't have as much of a writing experience while going into the sciences. And so that ability to write and communicate very concisely, very clearly in a way that can be read by different audiences, I would say is a very clear line from this is what IB taught me to my ability as a scientist. And that's actually one of those things that kept me as a major player, both in research, in the research world, and then moving into industry That ability to communicate and write was a huge factor in my success, and I credit IB a lot with that, for sure.
0: Was there a teacher or a moment in a class that really left a strong impression on you, and what was that? Give us a little bit of like a specific detail.
1: It's so funny. Thinking about my teachers and sort of the people that that stick in my mind a bit, I would say I had two major teachers that I'll, I'll never forget. I, I went into physics in college. I did not go into high school and the diploma program, even middle years program, thinking that I would be a physicist. I barely knew what that was, but I was also a dancer and I liked science. I took part in science extracurriculars, and but I always kind of was more drawn to biology. But then the dance teacher in high school, uh, I ended up dropping that class, and the only other class available was a physics class, and it was taught by Mr. Linzicki, who's our IB physics teacher, and I loved it. I loved it. I fell in love with it. He was very engaging. He made it make sense and made it exciting in a way that realizing that I could actually go to university and study that and just that was awesome, and it was super exciting. The other teacher that really stuck with me, and actually, you know, we've continued to keep in touch since high school, was Chris Hayes, Miss Chris Hayes. She was the head of the diploma program while I was there, and she was our history teacher. And so, you know, we did higher level history classes with her, and she was very engaging and personable in a way that she taught history not as a series of facts, but as a series of stories, and was able to break down that part of history in a way that I always since then have found history fascinating and have always wanted to study it more and a lot of the stuff that I've learned in that class has stuck with me and I feel like it's made me a more well-rounded person and then Chris just personally you know she she would tell people if you want to find my desk it's the one with Mulder and Scully and Snape on it and she had a stand up Aragorn <laughs> in her office and so this is you know early 2000s So we got along. (laughs) That was no question.
0: That was a perfect segue into the question that you know I have coming. So what what were the big shows that influenced you, not as a scientist, but as a person in the science fiction realm?
1: For sure. Yeah, I think that those big influential shows being particularly as well that age, I didn't really grow up in a science fiction household, per se. My parents weren't big sci-fi fans. That wasn't prominent with what we would watch in the evenings. But, you know, I was this little geeky, redheaded kid who loved aliens. And then I got to see this redheaded woman, like, wear a lab coat and fight aliens with science. And that was all I wanted to be and do. And I worshipped the ground that Dana Scully walked on. And so X-Files was hugely influential into getting me more into science fiction, but also leading me down a path of, like I said, when I had Mr. Lenzicchia as a science teacher, That was kind of the first time that I realized that physics was an option. But then also knowing my background lore with the X-Files very deeply, I also made the connection at that age that Dana Scully did her undergraduate degree in physics. And so I'm not gonna lie that that was a major factor in me deciding to pursue that in college. Because logically, if I wanna be Dana Scully, I need to get an undergraduate degree in physics.
0: That's really cool. I mean, that A, obviously a lot of people are having these discussions about diversity and identity, but it's cool that you saw a show in a way that I wouldn't have noticed as like a male, right, who influenced you in your career in a real way, even though it's supposed to be a goofy TV show. Radhika, do you want to add anything?
2: Yeah. Did you have friends or family members that were also interested in the STEM field that kind of helped guide you to answer those questions, or did you have to kind of look for resources yourself?
1: You know, with my my upbringing, my parents, my dad is a scientist, he's a meteorologist, and he worked as an air quality consultant. So I wasn't necessarily around the university academic aspect of science. My dad was in industry and, you know, it was a one of those jobs, that's like you barely understand what it is when you're a kid. It's like you just do some stuff with air. But, you know, I still at least had that where if I had problem with my science homework or my math homework, then I had someone who was able to help me and support me through that. Um, but certainly our interests and my proclivity to get into space, to study space, to study physics that wasn't necessarily what my dad's background was in. So I didn't feel like I was following that same path that he was in, but I definitely had that support. My mom, on the other hand, is a writer. So ironically, (laughs) I followed that path. And uh, she's a professional librarian as well. Even though I wasn't raised in a science fiction household, I can at least credit my parents with, you know, having that balance of arts and sciences that I think is uh, unique and important.
0: That's really cool. I mean, we talk all the time at the IB about interdisciplinary learning. And you're basically saying kind of you inherently took all these subjects and mixed them together and this is really cool
1: yeah i think that interdisciplinary idea is really important and when we talk about engaging with kids too as well it's this idea not just stem but steam is another sort of term that's used a lot and that's adding arts into the science technology engineering and math and i do think like there is a major crossover and for me i always thought that they were fairly incompatible Just in the sense that it was like my mom was a writer and artist. My dad was a scientist. And so those are two different people um, and two different paths that I could go down. But I was obsessed with X-Files. I was obsessed with movies. I loved, you know, this was sort of in the 90s when you would get the double VHS tape that had the making of video that (laughs) came with it. And I loved film and I loved storytelling from that aspect. But I saw it growing up that I needed to choose one or the other. And somehow I have shoehorned it and made it to come back together to have both of those in my life together completely compatibly. So yeah, I love it.
0: I think this would be a great time to talk about your MYP project, because we no longer need to ask you why aliens, but <laughs> tell us a little bit about your MYP personal project and what sort of skills you came out of that with. You know. I think we do think it's really important to give students this open-ended project with some loose goals and and set them free to, to build those skills. So tell us how how did that work out for you as
1: an MYP student? Thank you for leading that question because that's actually I can give a very good answer for that for sure. Um, so yeah, so my MYP uh, project, obsessed with aliens, I decided to dig into the lore and the history of aliens and UFOs in American culture, and it was just purely because. This was this open-ended prompt. And I almost couldn't believe it when it was this idea of like, okay, for your MYP project, choose whatever you want to do. It's like, oh my God, like I can actually just research aliens and like write an essay on that and figure out how to do that. And I was reading like redacted FBI files, just anything I could get my hands on because I loved it. And there's a great quote in the movie, Paul, where they find the alien and he was like, yeah, remember when like we were looking up files on Project Blue Book and the phone rang and he thought it was the FBI? Because that was literally I thought I was going to get in trouble by the government for the amount of like UFO searching I was doing. But I would say doing the MYP project and having this open ended project that I could come up with, that I could personally use my interests in and have a mentor help me figure out how to do this research, but really it was up to me. So I didn't have a local UFO expert that I could call and help me with this, Um, but who could help be like, okay, so this is how you look up research papers. This is how you look up, you know, redacted government documents. All of that helped me sort of hone that skill of turning what is just this vague interest into something tangible. And even if I wasn't, discovering anything new i was learning how to make these threads and make these connections and tell a story in a way that i hadn't done before on something completely open ended and that skill i would say even it's amazing looking back and thinking like you know the age i was doing this myp project and then going into the extended essay but then going into college and particularly in the stem field you know, it's not what you can memorize, it's not how many tests you can pass, it's learning how to do research and learning how to do research projects. And so, you know, I was doing honors projects as an undergraduate at university, and then going into graduate school or postgraduate school and doing a PhD program. Those skills, that's exactly what you need because you're given open-ended projects and being able to do that research and independently and confidently say, this is what I'm interested in, this is what I'm going to do my project on and going off and learning how to do that. I think that skill carries on way more into industry than we think about at the time. Cause it just feels like a project, but it's really a skill that can build on itself over the years.
0: That is that's like a spot on perfect answer, but I also hope it's the truth.
1: <laughs> Absolutely the truth. I really, I fundamentally believe that. And it wasn't until even we were talking about, you know, asking about my MYP. Project and the extended essay that caused me to even reflect back because I always attribute that skill really to being learning about scientific research when I was in university, but then actually realizing that that started much earlier and those skills that IB gave me just the confidence to be able to do my own research projects is is huge. And I, I didn't give it that much credit until we were just talking about this now. So, yeah.
0: Speaking about the truth, what excites you in the world of science fiction right now or the world of aliens? It was X-Files. What have you moved on to now?
1: So my current relationship with science fiction, you know, just a little bit brief about the kind of career trajectory that I went on because it's a little bit all over the place. But I went to university, studied physics, loved astrophysics, studying space with that went into graduate school overseas did my phd in astrophysics continued to do research from that then i moved into teaching from teaching you know at community college and local museums i started uh, working as an aerospace engineer mostly out of necessity for paying bills because unfortunately teaching doesn't pay as much as we would hope it was sometimes and so i started working as an aerospace engineer but all through that track particularly when I left academia, I really miss teaching. I love teaching at the core of my heart, core of what I do. And so I started going to science fiction conventions and teaching at those conventions the science behind science fiction franchises, whether that was video games or things like Star Trek or even Star Wars and just pulling out little science things and people loved it that big crossover of sci-fi fans and science enthusiasts is huge and a science fiction convention was like this really weird quirky opportunity for science enthusiasts to also geek out about what they love and learn some science along the way and so my relationship with science fiction has very much evolved into that using it as a tool to teach and i think that's very effective because science fiction provides an anchor reference point for people that you can at least be like all right well this is a teaching moment this is why that wouldn't happen because of science and we can explain why that is and cause and effect and all that fun stuff so right now as a sci-fi fan i'm obviously immersed in the star trek universe because i have to be but i also am a fan (laughs) but then i also think as a science consultant and someone who uses science fiction to teach science, I have seen an increase in more hard science, science fiction. That being when you look at the spectrum, when you talk about science fiction, it's a spectrum from science to fiction. Sometimes on that far end of the fiction, it's just fantasy that happens to be set on a space station or set in space. The science side, that's where you're more including You know, how artificial gravity works or different planets that we're exploring or or all of those. And I think we're currently sitting in that realm a little bit more just with the pure content that's coming out. I would say things like The Martian and The Expanse kind of have driven us more toward that, that people just find it really interesting that there is still, it's like that near future science fiction where we can see where humanity will be in the next hundred years as opposed to the next thousand years. So.
0: I was gonna bring up The Expanse. I read that series, I really enjoyed it. And they did a nice job in the the film adaptation of taking some of the descriptions of what was happening in the physical world and putting it on film. I think I have two questions on my list I'd love to cover and then we can kind of break into whatever you want depending on how much time we have. Give us a little insight into the DP. What was your DP experience like? And I think one of the big questions we like to pose is, tell us about the transition from MYP to DP. It's something that comes up pretty often. Um, And how did you kind of adapt to
1: that? Yeah. So, looking back, and it has been a while (laughs) on my relationship, like the transition, I think, from the MYP to the DP programs are, uh, I do remember it being a fairly significant transition. The thing for us was the way our school was set up was that it was kind of that same group of kids that if you wanted to do the DP, you had to do the MYP. And it was at the same school. And so it was very much you finished the MYP and there were some kids that did not continue on to the DP but I think that uh, in terms of the workload you know they were very clear with the expectations to say they viewed your MYP project as like an entree to be like this is the kind of workload you can expect <laughs> and there's going to be a lot more expectations of you discussing you know how you choose your higher level versus standard level what our program is going to you know say Everyone takes these higher level ones and you can choose these other options. And I did change. I ended up, because of my experience with physics, I think that that was, I went into standard level physics almost out of necessity, not necessarily knowing that I would personally have an interest in it. And I was doing higher level biology as my fourth higher level option. So I didn't have to do that higher level. So I ended up dropping biology as my higher level option and doing English history and math higher levels. And I'm glad I did math higher level. That was definitely an option that was available to me because math has never come super easy to me, but knowing that it would be necessary for the field that I was now finding I had an interest in, it was more of just like, yeah, that's probably the smart thing to do is to take higher level math. (laughs) And yeah, then I ended up just doing those as my options. The nice thing with having that subset of people within a bigger school where we were just the IB kids and then they had, you know, the rest of the school was kind of different from us. They were taking other classes. It did create this kind of community that we had because we were kind of isolated out out in that. We were the IB kids. So that kind of helped us help each other through that diploma program. And again, the expectations from the teachers were great and very clear. And so it was like, Start making your friends now. This is, you know, you're going to have your free periods. That's how you're going to be doing your work. And, you know, but I do think that, again, with the hindsight, it made us very prepared for university because that was a lot of managing your own workload, managing multiple classes, and people are taking different things. Some people might be in standard level math. I'm taking higher level math. So finding out that community that you can help with. Um, is is very important and again something that carries on
0: I'm actually genuinely curious what inspired you to look at Glasgow for PhD programs I think from an international perspective lots of students go all over the place to the UK to Australia to the US to Canada but I feel like from a domestic US student perspective looking saying hey I'm gonna just like take a leap of faith and go to Scotland for my PhD what was your thought process there and would you recommend it to other people
1: yeah, the decision to go do a PhD in Glasgow was a little bit of a process, a little bit random. I've always had an interest in Scotland. I My parents took us there, you know, as one big trip when we were kids to kind of see your heritage, you know, do a heritage culture trip. And it was a place that I knew I at least wanted to visit for an extended period of time when I was older. And going into university, I ended up going to my state You know, staying in Colorado, I went to the University of Colorado in Boulder because it was a great astrophysics university, and I just was able to get in-state tuition, but I was doing a double major, and I didn't have an opportunity to study abroad, and most of my fellow IB graduates that was a big thing that a lot of us did. I think a lot of us all had an interest in studying abroad at some point that obviously the big emphasis on international travel, international community, put that nugget in everyone's head that this is something we wanna do. You know, our IB curriculum obviously is very focused on a global worldview. Such that, you know, it was like, all right, you're 18, get your passports, you know, like, does everyone have their passports? And that was great. And I think that put that nugget in a lot of our heads. And so all of my fellow IB graduates and friends studied abroad, and I just never was able to fit that into my schedule or my plan for university. So when it came to looking at postgraduate options, I was looking at the different universities available and thinking career wise, as well as just the sort of random, I want to live in the UK, <laughs> if it's Scotland, it's great, but I never got this chance. But from a practical standpoint, I just wanted to keep studying astrophysics. I wasn't going into graduate school. With the mentality that i was going to be a professor that this was going to be my career i was going into it thinking that i just i liked my research projects and i wanted to study more and i wanted to have a phd and knowing that and looking into graduate programs overseas the ones in the uk actually fit my career goals a little bit better than the ones in the states because i had extensive research experience as an undergraduate i had started doing research when i was a sophomore at my university so i had two and a half years of of research under my belt and the way the uk programs are structured is it's like an apprentice program as opposed to like a full mentor thing you don't have as much in school curriculum it's nowhere near as long of a program you come in with a research plan and they sit you in front of a desk and say all right You've got maximum four years to write a Ph.D. thesis. And so I don't have a master's degree. I jumped right into a Ph.D. program because of that research background. And I fell in love with Glasgow. You know, I applied to a few programs in the U.K. after having that knowledge and deciding that that was the path I was going to take. And there was a professor in Glasgow that I clicked with and said, you know, I think you'd be a great addition with your research background and here's the expectations. (laughs) And I fell in love with Glasgow. So I literally, because IB, and I swear IB made me a glutton for punishment with workload, that it was going from one to the next to the next. I didn't know how to stop working in a good way, but I graduated like the first week of May with my double major, math and physics, and then three weeks later started my PhD program in Scotland. So I picked up and moved and just dove right in and finished my PhD in three and a half years and was done at 25. So it was a lot of work, but it was a great experience for sure.
2: So kind of bouncing off of your topics about community in the IB and representation, I wonder if you had any specific advice for like young girls and women interested in STEM. My sister is an engineer now, and she talked a lot about some of the barriers that she found when she was going into the field, just not being able to talk to professors in the right way or like having students not like having different expectations of her and being confused on how to make those expectations with the work that you wanted to do. And so I just want to see if you had any advice on that topic.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, trying to find a, a mentor in a community as a underrepresented person in whatever field you're going into. Um, you know, I'm a white woman, so I have some advantages, but I think that there's a lot of underrepresentation when it comes to gender in the sciences. And what I found was indeed, As an undergraduate, there were not a lot of other shared experiences, I guess is the way to phrase it. And I didn't have professors who looked like me, who, you know, could be a mentor that I saw myself becoming. But what I do think is that because the IB, especially the DP, is so hard (laughs) and so such a challenge at that age to to overcome that and to even do the workload, let alone, you know, if you pass the exams, but just doing the workload in its own right does bond you with your fellow classmates. And I feel like those bonds last well into adulthood. I still have very close friends that I have from that program. And so when it came to peers, when I didn't find that peer group as an undergraduate, when you're with the tons of strangers in 100 plus student classrooms, that was where you go back to the you know the students you were in class with. And you do kind of commiserate and you do share your experiences and help each other through that. So it's like this peer mentorship that I think carries on, even if you're not at the same university or going into the same field, you still at least have that shared experience. Um, but when it comes to mentorship, I always tell people, Don't be afraid to have a fictional mentor and quite genuinely, I mean, those times that I did want to give up as an undergraduate, you know, I'm 19, 20, 21 years old, struggling with all of this stuff. I didn't have a professor. I, you know, was struggling with my classes. I would watch the X-Files and I would be like, "Okay, Dana Scully, man, she's cool. She can handle it. I can do this. And so when i was an undergraduate that's when i started becoming exposed to star trek i didn't really know much about star trek before then but there's a big crossover of physicists and star trek fans and so i started watching that and then when i moved to scotland i got really into star trek voyager and that's the one with the captain janeway who's a you know the first sort of female-led captain in the star trek series and like scully i mean i just attached to her i saw myself in her was you know a science officer and this is all just her character But that character was able to mentor me. And it sounds, I mean, it does sound like a little bit weird if if you haven't had that experience before. But I think for underrepresented groups, there is starting to be so much better representation in the media and in storytelling that if you do find those characters that do help motivate you, even if it's not the same field, but if it's a type of person that you want to be, use those as your mentors because it will help. And it will get you through those for sure.
2: No, that was great. I was going to say, like, for me personally, like, Harry Potter was a really big influence in my life. So, like, for Hermione, I think me and my sister were both like, that's who we want to be. And just making that happen.
1: For sure. I've my, That's my little Hermione doll right there. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> that's awesome.
0: That's incredible. That's really cool. Okay, so what is your one big piece of advice? And it could be to a student or to an educator or to both who might listen to this or watch it what would you tell them about looking ahead to a career in the sciences or, or any discipline or looking ahead to a PhD program?
1: Yeah, I think my biggest piece of advice for particularly students is that you're not locked in to anything at any time. I feel like that was a big thing that I struggled with because I mentioned that I did my undergraduate at CU University of Colorado in Boulder. I actually went to a different university my freshman year And it was out of state, and it didn't work for me. I wasn't happy, and I wasn't clicking. And I had professors there who helped me figure out that the University of Colorado would be a good fit for me. And so I went back home. And that was fine. And it was the right decision. And then as I went through that, all of these life pivots that I've made, because I'm basically a one-woman career panel for a degree in astrophysics at this point, all of those have just been that point of reflection to say, like, okay, this isn't working for me, but what skills do I have? What do I enjoy doing? You know, one of the things when I left academia, there was a lot that I wasn't liking, and I wasn't forced out. There was just some aspects of it, this constant moving, the career track, the work-life balance was not something that I saw myself enjoying for a period of time. But I liked the project management aspect. I enjoyed leading a team. I enjoyed mentoring and teaching. And so taking those and looking at those opportunities and trying to build a career off of that. And as cheesy as it is, it's continuing to pursue your dreams. I loved science consulting and I loved science teaching and I love science fiction. And so this fact that like I spent seven years Going to conventions on my own dime, teaching the science behind science fiction, finding ways to sort of hone those skills and build a community of people who also enjoyed that. But then having this eye on like, I wonder if I can work Hollywood into this because I've always loved Hollywood. And now I'm at these conventions where I'm meeting actors, I'm meeting showrunners, I'm meeting writers. Let's use those networking communication skills that I've been working on since, you know, the diploma program and let's put those to use. And that's exactly what I did. And so I would say, you know, there's there's an element of practicality to looking at your life and looking at your life plan, trying to figure out a degree that's going to set you up very well. And I'm not going to lie, having a Ph.D. in astrophysics, just the name has gotten me far and has helped me a lot in all of these different career transitions Um, but it's really those skill sets that help you make those pivots and that tenacity of not giving up and i think thinking outside of the box is really a big thing as well you know the fact that i was like all right i love hollywood and filmmaking i also really love science and space And let's shove them together and I'll just make a job for myself out of it. Um, It is possible. It is possible. It's just, it's a lot of work. And, uh, but the IB program sets you up very, very well for that. I really do credit it with that. I'm a huge IB nerd and advocate. And like, I want more people to know about it and, and see the benefits that it can have on someone's life. And I, like I said, I mean, I really, really believe that it had a huge impact on my success and how I've approached my life.
0: Well, that was really fun. And um, thank you so much for sharing all of your insights. That was fantastic.
1: Anytime, anytime.
0: Thank you for joining us on this episode of IB Voices. For additional information on today's podcast, visit us on blogs.ibo.org. To check out more episodes of IB Voices and to never miss an episode, subscribe on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and Spotify. Join us next time for more stories and inspiring ideas from our IB community.